Good evening, everyone. Welcome to your Hawks Insiders. Thursday night, safe space, of course, on a Tuesday night. My name's Ashley Brown, and good to have you all with us once again as we look back on what's been an interesting week for the Hawthorne Football Club, of which the one-point loss to Carlton was only part of it. We'll be diving deep into both on-field and off-field matters as they pertain to the Hawks over the next hour or so. So uh, kick back, enjoy, and uh, as always, take part in the conversation. Uh, make a request to speak. We'd love to make this a multifaceted conversation. In particular, as we are down a couple of soldiers tonight, both Andrew Weiss and Simon Morowitz unable to join us. So let me say good evening to our to my the co-hosts who are standing, the soldiers that are still here to semi-quote Alistair Clarkson. Darren Levine, hello. Hey, Ash. Good to have you all here in the space. We're down a couple couple soldiers, but, you know, soldiering on. And uh, thanks for taking control of everything tonight. Brad Klebanski, hello. Evening all. Thanks, Ash. Daz. We could just spend the next hour going through your WhatsApp uh, messages to our group during the first quarter on Sunday, Brad. That would... Uh, Take care of the first hour. You were back to the old grumpy Brad. Very glad to be wrong. I'm happy to spike the defeat. Yes, I had to put it on mute actually for a while during the game because it was driving me. Uh, it was giving me the complete irritation. Actually, your my phone pinging with your comments while I was trying to watch the game. Uh, Danny Prince, hello. Good evening, Ash. Good evening. Good to have you here. Um, so, as I said, this Hawk Insiders. We thank you for your support. Our uh, our player ratings podcast went up Monday morning. Thanks to all of you who had listened to that. Plenty of downloads. That's when we go through player by player and our sort of more uh, focused review article has already gone up. Tonight is a night where we take a bit of a broader brush, look at it with the wisdom of hindsight and a couple of days to reflect on it. And we'll said, also a bit of a look ahead to St Kilda game on Sunday, but let's go back. It was Hawthorne 11-7-73, losing by point to Carlton 11-8-74 in front of more than 66,000 people at the MCG. It was a cracking day at the football, the result aside. So good to be back with a large, heaving crowd of people there. I thought, as I sort of wrote on the spaces, on the substack, when uh, the Morrison goal went through in the last quarter to bring Hawthorne within a kick, it was the loudest roar I'd heard at the MCG for a Hawthorne game, I would say quite possibly since the um, 2015 grand final. It was um, probably only 25,000 Hawthorne fans there off the 66,000, but uh, geez, they made some noise and uh, a lot of Hawthorne people are coming back to the footy, which is great. Um, we're going to start, as always, with the good and the bad. I had uh, Morrow down for the good, but he's uh, unavailable uh, since I sent out the call sheet. But so, Prinzi, you're, you're next in line. What was good about Hawthorne's performance on uh, on Sunday. Uh, the spirit and the fight back was was huge, Ash, and uh, we touched on it a little bit. I think uh, it was one of your lead things on um, our uh, player ratings pod, and uh, I couldn't agree more. The way that the Hawks um, dug in when the chips were down and brought the game back and eventually got the game on their terms that was uh, that was massive and uh, showed a lot of fight and a lot of character and uh there's a lot to be said about that especially with such a young young squad yeah certainly i think they uh, do get the game back on the terms you can often so if you could tell from early early to me right through the second quarter 
the game was being played as Hawthorne wanted to do, but whether they were going to be able to chip back what was still a pretty sizable deficit was always going to be a big question. Interesting video on the uh, Hawthorne website that dropped this evening, the coach's court or coach's click or whatever they call it. Robert Harvey was the was the guest host this week and he pointed out to some sort of pressure acts in the midfield that didn't, and you're right, you sort of have to look at them at second glance to understand that, uh, actually how important they were in uh, helping to bring back the game in uh, Hawthorne's favour for such a considerable period, even though Carlton appeared to, at first glance, Carlton appeared to sort of win those clearances and win those those battles. It was actually uh, Hawthorne getting the game back as to how they wanted it. So that certainly was an encouraging part out of that game. Brad, your wheelhouse, what was bad? Senior players once again. Jagar, I like him. He speaks really well. He captained the side for the second week in a row. I uh, know oh it wasn't a, uh, he was the captain. He's been disappointing this season. I think Tom uh, Mitchell as well. I know he's playing, spending a bit more time forward. But in my opinion, he's definitely not 100% fit. I think he's struggling big time. Chad Wingard definitely is not fit. I don't think he should have played on the weekend. His hamstring, in my opinion, is still causing him problems. Gunston was quiet, but uh, we forgive him because he was brilliant uh, the week before. But the senior players this season, in my opinion, have been overshadowed by the younger players, which is a positive. But the senior players are a worry, in my opinion. O'Meara, Mitchell and Wingard in particular, I think have started the season very poorly, in my opinion. I might be wrong, but it's just my opinion. Uh, a couple of things on that. Certainly, I think the I, I think Mitchell, O'Meara and Wingard would be three of the probably four most highly paid players at the football club. It might be one or maybe put Sicily in there as well. They're probably th- three of the more disappointing players so far this season. Wingard, to me, didn't look fit. I think he trusted his body. Um, and he, made, he put his hand up to play and obviously the medical staff backed him in, but I had Maybe he wasn't 100% fit. I agree with you, Brad. Uh, I had some concern, concerns there. Before we get to, I'll talk a bit more about uh, the fan experience, I guess I, I've touched on, but I want to know do we read anything into Tom Mitchell starting the game on the bench? Probably just to kick in, uh, probably just to kick up uh, the bum. Shields has been dropped. Mitchell against Port was okay, but again, you know, he was probably behind. Um, the younger plays, you know, Ward and McDonald were brilliant against Port. Jai Newcomb was brilliant. Uh, Connor Nash continues that to improve. He was really good again on the weekend. I just think Sam's mixing things up at the moment. Uh, I noticed a lot during uh, the game, the three that started in the middle changed up quite a bit. I noticed Tom did spend a bit of time forward. He did against Port as well. He did kick a good goal there. I think it was in the third quarter. Um, but, you know, when he played for Sydney, he actually did spend a bit of time forward. He, was, he uh, often did kick goals. And I think that's one part of the game that he needs to improve. And at all our midfielders, I don't think Jagic's kicked enough goals when he plays in the midfield. McDonald's kicked goals in consecutive weeks, uh, which is great. We saw Ward hit the scoreboard last week as well. Jai's kicked a couple of goals as well. Uh, I just think it was a kick up uh, the bum. I think, you know, Sam seems, you know, to be doing that at, at the moment. He's trialling uh, different things. And I think it uh, will hopefully uh, work. You know, he came on. When he came on, he showed some all right signs. He was okay in the second half. But I just don't think he's not fit. I know he did. He had an interrupted pre-season. 
which we heard about. We know he was in doubt with groin soreness to start off uh, the season. So fingers crossed in a few weeks' time he comes to his best because if Mitchell and O'Meara can play at their best with the improvement of Ward, McDonald, Nash, Newcomb, we have the nucleus of a very good uh, midfield for whatever reason at the moment. It's just not working. We're getting smashed in the midfield. And you could, and you could say the midfield's really the one part that's letting them down at the moment. The back line's been terrific. Um, recovered well from being under siege against the Blues. The forward line's probably better, going better than we all thought it would. So it's the midfield that does certainly need to uh, to lift this game a little bit. So I think, um, having said that, they might have played, in the last couple of weeks, they might have played Two of the better midfields I'll encounter for a little while. Certainly, I don't think the St Kilda midfield, there's some good players in it, but I don't think the St Kilda midfield, and we'll get to this later on as we sort of preview the, the game. I'm not sure the St Kilda midfield will uh, in, uh, offer the same sort of concerns that the, Carl, that the Carlton and Port Adelaide midfields have the previous two games, but we'll get to that down the track. Daz, what are your overall uh, views on the game? Yeah, really similar opinion to Brad. I think those senior players... It, 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 it's another one of those victories which were carried off the backs of some cameos from our younger players. I mean, Josh Ward's second quarter was incredible, 12, 12 possessions and won that first clearance when he just could not win it out of the middle. Connor Nash with his versatility. Harry Morrison had his one of his best games for the club. Um, and so I think those signs are really encouraging when, when those senior players who have relied on for so long have just become sort of role players now. But we actually need the Tom Mitchells and the Jago Ramirez of the world to, to, to really win the footy. And, and, and that's a persistent problem. And it's not just on a small sample size either. It's a, it, it's a problem that we spoke about early last year. And until Josh Ward and Connor McDonald are those sort of ball-winning, big-bodied midfielders in a few years' time, it's, it's, it's a problem that's, that's, that's going to continue to rear its head. I was talking to someone who's closely who's close to people at the club today, and the general opinion is that the Hawthorne Best and Ferris at the moment, the top three or four uh, leaders in the Best and Ferris would be 23 or under. So that tells you that the uh, experienced Hawks have got a little bit of work to do uh, to lift their game, and uh, most of those are, are through the midfield. Uh, votes 3-2-1, starting with you, Danny. Uh, yeah, my uh, three would go uh, without a doubt to CJ. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, touched on him in that in that play review pod. Um, yeah, only I could only think he did one thing wrong for the whole game. Uh, two to James Sicily. Uh, again, I thought he was brilliant. And one to Dylan Moore, who just keeps on keeping on and. As I mentioned, um, should be in the running for All-Australian on current form. Brad? Yeah, same plays as Prinzi, but I've got CJ3, uh, Dylan Moore 2. I think he was our best player in the first half. Uh, kicked, you know, kicked his goals, still gets these possessions. But in the second half, he worked tirelessly. There was often times where he would get the ball you know, in the back uh, 50, worked up the ground. He just runs and runs and runs. He's in, seriously still, in my opinion, he's an underrated play. I think he'd be in the All-Australian team if it was chosen tomorrow. And one for Sicily, who I think's polled in every game so far after missing all of last season. So, yep, same plays as Prinzi, different order. Uh, I've got a full suite of defenders here. So 
One vote's going to go to Sam Frost. I think he did a really good job. Gave up a lot of a lot of height to to Mackay and Kerno and, and and really just played that lockdown defender role so well. And we just look like a better team when he's out when he's our number one defender. Just so much more mobility than than Hardigan. Um, number two, I Denver Granger Barras had the most interceptions I think on the ground, and um, he he. It was his best game for his club, and you can really see why he was such a top-tier draft talent. Um, and he just attacked the ball with so much aggression and was really crucial in that last quarter too. And then CJ, for me, uh, was just everything positive flowed through CJ. And I think when Carlton supporters are singing his praises, and a lot of them, that was the first time that they saw him live, um, I think, yeah, you, 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 we're just onto an absolute um, star with CJ. He's, he's, he's just so dynamic and, and fun to watch. Okay, so that uh, I went three. Uh, I went three. CJ to Sicily and one Dylan Moore uh, as my three, two, one. Um, that was the good outing for Hawthorne. Oh, Hawthorne without getting the win. I, I can't recall two times, and we've uh, walked away from a loss against Carlton, feeling generally pleased with what uh, what we saw, but. Uh, that's the state of uh, where Carlton are at the moment. It's the state where Hawthorne's at at the moment. Um, just pointing out, come out at uh, Box Hill City Oval, uh, where Box Hill led by a point to three quarter time, seven seven forty nine to Carlton seven six forty eight. Ended up losing by plenty, forty six points as the Blues kicked away, kicking nine goals to one in the final quarter. Um, the Best for the Hawks, as listed on their website, Tom Phillips, Beasley, Green, Long, Impey, Kozitsky, uh, Green, three, Jekka, two, Mitchell, Callow, and Sarong, each among the goals. Uh, Prindy, uh, a bit been going on. What, what, what's your what's your takeaway from what you understand about the Box Hill game the weekend? Yeah, uh, again, uh, we, it was a bit of a, an arm wrestle. Um, started well, uh, then, then the... Um, the Blues, uh, the Blues got on top in the second quarter, fought back, just got on, just got the edge at three quarter time, and just gave up the ghost in the last quarter. Um, was run over the top of. I think last week we talked to Ed Sill about the lack of a, a ruckman at Box Hill, and that it didn't really hurt him last week too much because Collingwood also didn't have a recognised ruckman, but um, the Box Hill Hawks got absolutely slaughtered in the in the ruck against uh, Alex Murkoff and uh, Jesse Glass McCasker um, and I think it was something like uh, Cozzy was our, uh, our our highest hit out um, player uh, he got 16 hit outs himself and um, Murkov had 46 on his own and uh, Glass McCasker had 28 so when you when you're getting that sort of domination in the hitouts, you're expecting that the midfield battle is being won by the Blues, and I think that that just paid off in the last quarter for for them, and uh, they were able to run over the top of the Hawks, who were missing a few players, um, but yeah, just just uh, just got done on the day. Yeah, I um, Box Hill is paying the price at the moment for not having a a real recognised ruckman. Um, a bit surprised uh, with their list management uh, that they didn't sort of go and find at least one player, you know, one ruckman that they can plug in if Hawthorne is taking up all the big men, Daddy. A bit surprising. I think, I think 
I think, and Ed touched on that yet last year too, they don't generally sign up a Ruckman because generally the Hawks have at least four recognised Ruckman on their list. Uh, but the Hawks have gone in with three recognised Ruckman on their list this year. And I actually think it's a poor, uh, poor, poor list management by the Hawks um, to leave themselves thin on the ground there. Because right now we're, we know we've got no McAvoy for pretty much half the year. Uh, if we if we lose uh, Lynch or Reeves, we're we're in a lot of trouble, and Box Hill are already paying for that. Uh, and I think it's only it's it's inevitable that uh, come the mid season draft they'll they'll find a rookie ruckman or a project ruckman or somebody that uh, can come and step into the list and fill that spot. I'm sure Keegan Brooksby would come back if we asked nicely. I'm sure he would. Well, he does work at the footy club, so he's around. Maybe just that, get him in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, or we could go for uh, we could go for Shane Mumford. You know, that's, he gets listed by every year. Maybe we can beat the Giants with a punch and list him in the middle of the season. He nearly came to Hawthorne. He was tossing up in Hawthorne and the Swans when he left uh, Geelong, I think, or maybe the, when he left the Swans, I think he nearly came to Hawthorne. So uh, we nearly had the big mummify at one stage. Um, injury update: uh, Hawthorne haven't put the full update yet, but they probably have already dropped the big story. Um, courtesy of a 17-second video from Jack Scrimshaw on the official website that says he's uh, only what was fearing the worst, a, a fractured scapula, is instead bad bruising, and uh, he is a chance to play this week. Um, Brad, you're a keen observer of Hawthorne's media comms. Do you think the fact they put him up to that... Um, to say that in front of a camera today means he's more likely to play or they're pulling the, pulling the wool over our eyes? Uh, well, I think they've been quite transparent. I know we've spoken about this the last few weeks. Uh, I'd be surprised if he does play. Um, I don't think he's a really good player. He's an important player, but I don't think it's worth risking him. He looked quite sore at the end of the game. You know, we obviously all fearing are the worst. Um, I think he'll probably miss only the one week. Uh, I think will play one more in Box Hill. I'd be surprised if they rushed him back. But other than Max King, I know St Kilda have a couple of, I guess we call them bigs, like they they, they rotate. Uh, Rowan Marshall, Jack Hayes will probably play. They'll probably go with the three talls. Tim Membry is tall, but I don't think he plays that tall. So I think the way our defence has been playing at, as a whole, I think... He won't play this week, and I think we'll be able to cover the loss of Scrimshaw. So I think they are being transparent. I think he's obviously going to be a chance to play, but I don't think he will. Imagine not picking uh, with a Sunday-Monday game next three weeks again as the, the Thursday selection will only be a squad. In fact, I, I suspect when Hawthorne plays two Monday games, they might not even name a squad till Friday night. So we don't have a lot to look forward to with Thursday night team selections with Hawthorne for the next few weeks. Um, Liam Shields uh, became a father today. We sent our best to Liam Shields and uh, hasn't played the last two weeks. I would think he'll play Box Hill this week, Brad. What do you think? And then maybe come back for Geelong on Easter Monday, just sort of seeing the game that they would like him to play in. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you'd think Easter Monday against Geelong would be a great experience for your wards and your McDonald's. I think we need to see how the, those boys come through the St Kilda game. You know, to play the first four games is, is really good for those boys, but they might be a bit sore. So one of them may get a rest for Easter Monday. I just It's still too early to see 
uh, the way Sam thinks. Clarko always would, you know, play his, you know, try and play his most senior sides possible to start uh, the season. We rarely saw the youngsters play in the Easter Monday games and those big games earlier in the year. So, yeah, you could be right. It just depends what role they have for Shields. You know, with how our midfield's struggling at the moment, I would stick with uh, youth, especially against uh, Geelong. I know they're bigger bodied, but their midfield's slow. They like pace in their midfield. So I think the youngsters for that game will be more important. So I, I, I can't see Shields coming into our side unless we have an injury. Certainly the other thing to think about, and that's a few weeks down the track, is there's a five-day break between the Sydney game in Launceston in round five, or round six, and the Melbourne game at the MCG uh, in round seven. So Hawthorne didn't go through the five. Actually, in the last couple of years, Hawthorne have largely avoided the five-day breaks that most other teams have had. So... Yeah, I reckon selection that's the game, will be the interesting. Again. Yeah, the Demons game will be the game where I think we'll see a few of the youngsters uh, get a rest. Yeah, that's right. I think twice in five days will be a bit hard, and that might be the time that a couple of players at Box Hill. And, uh, Dan, and thanks to Danny for pointing out that um, Tyler Brockman's back at the club this week. He's, he went back to WA for uh, homesick reasons, and I think you know we'll, we'll park that discussion aside a bit. But you know, Brockman's a one to watch. I think uh, from the list management point of view, come the end of the season, I think that. Uh, I would imagine the West Australian clubs, especially West Coast, that was very keen to, to draft him a couple of years ago, might look to see what they can do to bring him home if he's feeling homesick and Hawthorne might be in a position to turn that into a reasonable draft pick, which would be a shame because he's, you know, he's incredible upside Brockman, but, uh, you know, Mitchell's at a stage where he's developing the list and they want more draft picks and that might be a way uh, to get some more talent into the club. So we'll, well, this is a watching brief, but he'll hopefully be back at least at... Uh, Box level this week, and he again, as Brad said, he might be one of those guys who, in the next few weeks, comes rotated through the side as they have some short weeks. Um, we're going to get to the big off-field um, issue shortly. As I've said, if you've got anything, uh, if you want to take part in the conversation, please uh, make a request to speak. Would love. There's only four of us carrying the can tonight. We'd love to hear a couple of fresh voices coming through, questions or observations about anything to do with the club on or off the field. Please, we would love to hear from you. What we want to move on to now is a comment from uh, Jager O'Meara's media conference today. Um, I'm just going to read this uh, and get some and throw this around for you guys from discussion. Yeah, the, he's asked the usual question about the differences between this year and last year. Blah 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 blah. Just, and this is the quote: "Just to hear some different voices has been refreshing, and some younger players." I think we've also flattened the leadership curve at the club as well in terms of our playing group and our coaching department. So we're hearing a lot of different voices that you wouldn't necessarily have heard in years before. Darren, take it away. Yeah, well, I think he's building a modern club and I think all workforces are changing. Um, things aren't the way they were in, in 2008. Things aren't the way they were in 2015 or 2018 um, and so Sam is putting his imprint on the club and building a, a workforce that reflects this young generation um, and I think it's I think it's I think it's awesome I think there's a lot of stuff that would be worth probably retaining just just maybe the, the worry there is he's he's kind of doing everything his own way but um, I think it's I think it's another sort of uh, another sort of encouraging sign that he's putting his own stamp on the club Um what I will say is that um, I'm actually writing a, 
cover story for the AFL record for Easter Monday on Sam Mitchell. So I won't say too much because I do want to keep it for the story, but I think you'll find it interesting uh, to read um, a fair bit about. And one thing, the only thing I'll say is I didn't interview Sam for the story. I spoke, interviewed others about him. So um, finished doing interviews today and I'll start writing that um, tomorrow. But looking I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, looking forward to that. And I, th- I think the other thing is it, it just makes so much sense now why the two of them couldn't coach together in that in that role and, and why the succession plan had to had to be fast tracked because just ideologically they just seem on absolutely completely different wavelengths so there was no way you could accommodate those two different different styles in the same club and it totally makes sense why we why we went down that path Aiden good evening you got a question for us welcome to Hawks Insiders Safe Space Hey guys uh, thanks for having me um, I just want to say that uh, I watched the game, my sister's a Carlton fan, and I watched it at her house, we had a little family lunch sort of thing, and then watched the game afterwards. My uncle doesn't care about footy in the slightest, but once CJ started getting the ball more, and led our comeback almost, he was shouting words of encouragement, and just absolutely enthralled with the way he was playing. Yeah, well, he has become, it's it's quite extraordinary in the, uh the space of three weeks, how he's been talked up. I saw one rolling Australian, all-Australian team today that uh, had him on the halfback flank. Inexplicably, Matthew Lloyd left him out of the seven most uh, exciting and watchable half uh, running defenders in the competition at the moment. I would have thought, all biases aside, he'd be just about number one in the, in the AFL at the moment in terms of uh, form and watchability for running defenders. But really, he's a, he's a difference maker for Hawthorne. He, he's so, it's so exciting what he means for the club as, as a player. It's particularly exciting, I think, also for what he can do for the club off the field and certainly the areas we're going to get to in a little while. Um, but he's clearly having a fantastic season and just when he gets the ball, the seize part on the field and he, uh, he uh, there was one brain fade, which would be disappointing against the Blues uh, in the first quarter on um, Sunday, but otherwise he played a, a near flawless game. I think we all gave our best on ground. Uh, Brad, how he's just so exciting. That's a great point that, yeah, uh, you guys all make. I, he's one of those players that I think supporters from all clubs are going to love. He's going to bring the, everyone so much joy, especially us. We noticed it, you know, last season, uh, the an improvement from uh, the year before. So he's the complete uh, package. He's going to be a gun football. He's already a star, but he's uh, likable and he speaks really well. I know he's done a few uh, chats for the website. I've heard him speak a few times. He's a really smart kid. Uh, he's just a likable uh, person. So I think it's, you know, he's great for the club. I think he's still contracted. I think he's signed. He's still got two. I think he's got two years left, but his next contract's going to be a big one and he's going to deserve it. He's going to earn it. Um, he's just, he's got such a bright uh, future for the club and he's definitely uh, one of the faces uh, of our club for at least the next five uh, years. I reckon he's just, you know, he's still young as well. He's only played less than 30 games, I reckon, maybe a, a bit more than 30. But to think where he's going to be in, say, two, three years' time is very scary. He's going to be a star. And I reckon he's got leadership qualities as well. I think if if anyone hasn't listened to the Dill Buckley podcast interview with 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 um, CJ, it's it's really a, an amazing insight into his um, into his upbringing and, and just how hard he pushes himself to to be a, be a top AFL player. 
um, and also the role Sam Mitchell played in in just having an honest conversation with that with him, just saying that he wasn't, you know, what's he doing playing footy at Box Hill? Um, just just that sort of frank conversation really changed things around for CJ, and it's just awesome to see him flourishing like this. Uh, Ivan, good evening. You got a question for us? Yeah, good evening. Yeah, CJ Jet, my son's favourite player, got the nine on his back. And just even round one went on to the North Melbourne game. Just the crowd just sits on the edge of their seat when when he gets it. So it's, it's, he's yeah, agree with all the comments. Absolute jet. Um, agree with Danny. I reckon our list is one ruckman short. Yeah, target mid season draft to pick up another one because you know, like you said, you know we lose Noodle or Lynchy. We're in a big big hole. Um, as for this week, I reckon the Chad needs to go back to Box Hill and Jars comes in. Um, and obviously big Maxi Lynch comes back and potentially Ned uh, Long makes his debut. I don't know how you sort of rate him, but I, I think he's uh, the prototype midfielder moving forward, very raw. Um, but I, I, and I think we were super lucky to get him in as a rookie. And then the next question, Ash, to you, I'll give you two. What do you think end of the year, Tim Taranto, yes or no? <laughs> uh, we wish. You sound like you've got some mail there. No, nah, I was talking to Frenzy. He said no, but I um, I, I, I just read some paperwork that he's not super – he likes Sydney, but, you know, is it time for to make a play for the Melbourne boy to come home? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting about Hawthorne and is that we all thought they were probably two years away from being a player in uh, free agency, but they'll have a bit of cap space this time at the, at the end of the season. I think what Sam and what's exciting about Hawthorne so far, Sam Mitchell is creating an environment at Hawthorne that I think free agents or players wanting a trade back to Victoria will want to be part of. And that's also, we haven't really discussed that much, but I think that they, they, they want to be a destination club again. They weren't making it a priority, but they might fast track that as a priority in the next 12 months. I mean, God help us. If Carlton could have been a destination club the last three years the way they were going, and surely Hawthorne, and they've obviously full fair play to Carlton, they've come good. But if Carlton's destination club two, three years ago when they were battling under Bolt and David Teague, then surely the Hawthorne product that Sam Mitchell's creating is something that players will want to be part of. The player who's mentioned today, apparently um, Brad and Danny, some thoughts on this is Dan McStay, apparently, yeah. is going to be the target Six of a club from a Victorian club. Would, is there a possibility that Hawthorne is that club? Potentially, there is a Victorian club that's offered McStay a six-year deal, which I find is incredibly hard to believe. I think he's a role player. He's a decent player, but, you know, is he better than um, a Mitchell Lewis, you know, a Jekka or a Callow who we haven't really seen yet? You know, we need to see these guys play. If a club's offering Daniel McStay six years, that's, in my opinion, nuts. So hopefully it's not Hawthorne. I think he's a decent okay, player. Actually, thinking through, it might be Collingwood. Yeah, I think he's a decent play. But the Taranto one's an interesting one because we know the GWS, you know, uh, Caniglio, who we all thought was coming to us at one stage, he signs the seven-year deal. Tom Green's having a brilliant start of the season. He's going to sign a really big contract. Uh, you know, Toby Green's obviously still there. Jacob Hopper's still there. Josh Kelly signed a huge contract. In the next couple of years, whether it's the end of this year or next, they're still going to lose a couple of their star players. So Taranto would be absolutely perfect for us. He's the exact type of player that we need. A midfielder that can go forward and kick a goal is a superstar. Um, and like 
uh, you said, Ash, we're going to have a lot of cap space. Uh, Big Boy is going to finish up at the end of this year. Uh, we'll probably delist a couple of the senior players. Shields will probably retire or be traded. Uh, so we are going to have a bit of space to have a crack at someone quite big, which will be exciting. Ahmed, Just... hello. Oh. Ahmed, you there? No, you dropped off. Go on, who was... Who, who did I yeah, drop no, off? Sorry, I was just going to uh, give my right of reply to uh, Ivan. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I actually really liked Tim Taranto, and I think I said to you too, Ivan, that um, he is the type of player that we need. I think I just think that um, where we are right now, we still need to be committed to the draft for the next at least two drafts. Um, so I wouldn't be wanting to give up draft capital in order to get Tim Taranto in. But having said that, if we have a really good rest of this year and we either make the finals, I can't see it, but if we make the finals or we're just outside of the finals, then maybe that changes the uh, the timeline that the Hawks see themselves on. Um, but Taranto is the type of midfielder, I think, that we need. One that can sort of win the ball inside, but also go forward and kick goals. I also like Daniel McStay. Uh, I think that because it's a six-year deal, I don't think it's the Hawks. The Hawks don't really give six-year deals. Um, it, six-year deal has Collingwood written all over it. Ash, you stole my thunder there. Um, but I like McStay as somebody who is being played as a forward right now, but that could go back and take the gorilla def- uh, forwards as a key defender if we were to bring him in. So um, if we were looking at bringing in McStay, I'd be looking at bringing him in to replace Kyle Hardigan. I said not a mixed day at home forward for you, Danny. Oh. Sorry, I had to. And uh, a mixed day close to the goal square defender. Well, uh, thanks. For the, thanks, Dad. thanks for joining us, everyone. That was thanks, thanks, thanks for the, uh, the da- <laughs> thanks for the dad joke, Darren, because that is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about now. The dad joke that that has caused all sorts of grief for the Hawthorne Football Club, that being the torn jeans remark. Um, from Jeff Kennett to Shannon Rioli, which has long been rumoured was probably the final straw, uh, the deal, the uh, the tipping point for the estrangement between the Rioli family and the Hawthorne Football Club. So I want to throw this conversation open uh, to everybody, and again, would love to hear from a wide range of people because I'm sure we're all going through different. Feelings of uh, grief, anger, frustration um, over this issue. There's several angles that we need to come at it from. The first is obviously is the Rioli angle, the um, which I want to talk about. The second is the it's, it's raised the issue again of our Hawthorne supporters. Um, is a football club. The football club have issues with racism, and the Hawthorne supporters are a more racist group of supporters than others, given their 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 booing of Adam Goods back in the day. There's that. It's also the question of Jeff Kennett should uh, have Hawks for change. Uh, are they right for to prosecute a change of the presidency immediately, or do we uh, do we think that um, the process Jeff Kennett put in place to step down sometime after June 30? Once an appointee, once once a suitable replacement has been appointed, and do we think that Jeff Kennett has been the subject of a witch hunt, uh, which is a, a opinion held by many, not just at Hawthorne but in the media as well, that uh, 
the, the, the article by Caroline Wilson was actually just a, a thinly veiled uh, pot shot at, uh, at Jeff Kennett. So there's a fair bit to unpack there. I'll start with you, Brad. And as I said, this is a conversation we want as many of you to be part of. Please raise your hand to speak if you, if you want to be part of it. We'll get to you over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Start with you, Daz. Oh, where do you want me to start with that? I think, um, <laughs> Ash, there's just, there's just so much to, to kind of cover off. But I think for me, just reading that Caroline Wilson story, I just felt really ashamed and um, we just have to do everything we can to, to fix this issue. And I think it's become a real litmus test maybe for how you perceive race in this country. I, I think there's a lot of people, I think, in, from, from maybe an older generation that, would just look at that and think, oh, it's, it, it's a dad joke, move on. But it's not really for us to, you know, it, it's very hard for us as, you know, white, middle-aged, Aussie, Aussie, Austra- you know, Aussie blokes to, to be saying that they, sh- you know, someone shouldn't be offended by a joke. I mean, it's it's really uh, the, the victim that really calls the shots there. So um, obviously that magnified a whole bunch of other issues that the realities had with Hawthorne. And, and we're in this predicament now and, and it's really feeling to me like with Kennett and and I fully appreciate and respect everything he's done for the club. I'm definitely not in the the camp of you know get Kennett out, but this has been the the, the the straw that's broken the camel's back for me with Kennett. And I think it's just feeling very much like an Eddie Maguire situation at Collingwood. And if it's a choice between Jeff Kennett and Cyrilioli, I'm making that choice to to do everything we can to to get Cyril back in the fold every single time. And I don't think any 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 other Hawthorne supporter would probably back Kennett in this instance. And I think I think it's just time for him to move on and retain the any sort of shred of dignity that he's got less left in the situation and and kind of let the club heal and 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 have that inward looking process and and fix these issues. Brad, you're a media. Uh, you, you you work in the media uh, full time, as do I. What did you, how, how do you think the conversation around the Hawks has been framed? Has, has been fair, been fair reporting? Do you think what did you make of Caro's article? I know she, you do a bit of work with her, so you might be a bit conflicted. Yeah. But what did you think you know, of the article? Absolutely fair. And some of the reports uh, you read online, the comments are from our supporters just uh, anger me. Like Caroline Wilson hates a Hawthorne, all that type of stuff. Whenever there's a negative piece, it's always the journalists' uh, fault. It's never the club. The comments about people sticking up for Jeff Kennett, sticking up for the club, just angers me. The whole situation is sad. Cyril Rioli and his wife are the victim. That's 100%. Like, any argument is just wrong. It's like, I don't know what you guys think. or Like, how anyone can stick up for the club and for Kennett. If you notice the work that Sam's doing at the moment, I feel sorry for Sam. I think he's done a brilliantly a brilliant job. I think he's spoken incredibly well. He's in a really hard uh, situation. I'm not sure if you guys saw the reports on Footy Classified, you know, the report of the text uh, message conversation between Sam and Cyril, uh, which was important. It's important for everyone uh, to read that. I think Sam's doing his best and will continue to do his best to fix things. I think the release from the club late today was weak. Um, I just think the club needs to do a lot of work. I believe they need to do a full investigation. I don't think they will, but they should because as long as Kennett's in charge, nothing will nothing further uh, will get done. And it's just sad. Like you read of how disgruntled Cyril is the last cult, you know, uh, the last paragraph 
of his pace in the age with uh, Caroline was really sad that he, you know, he wouldn't come back to Hawthorne. He'd be happy to go to uh, West Coast or Richmond. I think he said that doesn't want to come back to Hawthorne. It just needs to be fixed. And as Daz said, if it's between Cyril and anyone else at the club, the supporters are going to pick uh, Cyril. So I think the club just need to be smart about it. I think they've handled it poorly. And I'm sorry, I know there's going to be supporters in this group who are going to uh, disagree with me, but you just you can't not support Cyril in this uh, situation. And it's the Adam Good stuff all over it again. We booed him uh, because he dived. We booed him because he gave away free kicks against us. It's wrong. It's racist. Watch the documentaries. And those that haven't, you'll understand why. So I'm sure people are going to uh, disagree, but that's my opinion. It just it angers me. And I think, Daz, you're, you're probably in a similar situation. I'm sure, Ash, you are as well. Prinzi would love to hear your thoughts, but that's my thoughts on it. Uh, Daniel, here for you quickly. We've got a couple of people want uh, some questions. We want to get to those. Danny, what were your, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with pretty much everything that's been said uh, so far tonight on this topic. I think, I think the thing that we shouldn't um, that shouldn't get lost in it is that um, although Jeff has a part to play in this stuff, a lot of the stuff that was referred to in these articles happened at a time that either Jeff was transitioning out or transitioning back in, or in between his times at the club. So. There were cultural issues even without Jeff's uh, comment about the ripped jeans to Shannon Rioli. Um, and that says a lot about the overall leadership of our club at that time. I think um, there are some things that we need to look at. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually really proud of um, the way that uh, we've seen Mitchell has handled, Sam Mitchell's handled this situation because I think the rest of the club's a little been a little bit uh, watery in the way they've gone about it. It hasn't been strong in any way. Reeves' statement today was a was a nothing statement. But um, Mitchell uh, reaching out to Rioli and um, showing that we're really trying to, as a club, focus on changing some of those perceptions that Rioli and his family had and um, that they're working with the uh, Indigenous guys that are at the club at the moment. Um, and trying to uh, work around some of the Australia Day stuff, which is really important to a lot of uh, Indigenous people. Uh, I think that that's a really positive thing going forward. But I think uh, I think we just need to keep in mind that although Kennett has a part to play in what's happened in the past, it's not the whole part. Daniel, good evening. you got a question for us. Yeah, good evening, guys. Actually, Danny pretty much summed it up perfectly from, from the angle I'm coming from. Um, in terms of the Kennet stuff and and the way that, that um, I think there's a group of people that can that can go a long way to helping um, calm the waters firstly and then that opens the door to fixing the issues in the background and, and what may have been playing under the surface and, and hopefully Sam is one of them and that playing group that he played with so the hard part is that not a lot of those guys are around anymore or are involved in other club with other clubs now. But those that aren't, if we can somehow, in the background, it doesn't have to be public, use them to, to create a safer space and open the door to 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 healing the, the friction. I know that um, a lot of players, I mean, Campbell Brown, I uh, spoke to him today. This will be his... his, um, his 
he's now going to be writing at Casey Corks Insiders. Spoke to um, spoke to Campbell today. He says he hasn't spoken to Silvioli for a decade. They've actually got a 2008 WhatsApp group, a part, a Premiership team WhatsApp group. That's not that active, um, but uh, Cyril is uh, one of a handful of players who just doesn't doesn't take part in it. So he really is estranged from the club. It's, it's very sad to see. But I think you know, without being too premature about this, I think Hawthorne does have a pretty special person now as a senior coach of the club. And if, if he if he's taken on, if he's making an undertaking to try and uh, get Surioli back in the fold of Hawthorne, I've every reason to believe that uh, Sam will get it done. It will take time, and Sam has indicated that uh, it will take some time, but I think if there's already a, a text dialogue taking place between... I didn't see footy classified last night, Brad, but if there's already a text message dialogue taking place between Rioli and Sam Mitchell, then I have reasonable faith that at some stage, won't be tomorrow, won't be any time soon, probably won't even be, sadly, for when the Hawks play in Darwin in a few weeks' time, but hopefully by the time of the Premiership reunion next year, the 10-year reunion, that uh, Cyril will be back in the fold in some shape or form. Stalking, good evening. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good day, guys. Um, a couple of thoughts. I really kind of think that um, this uh, issue with, um, with Cyril and pretty much um, First Nations people within the club really, to me, strikes strikes us as like a Essendon 2012 supplement sort of size issue. It's you'll you'll have the people with the club that will back the club no matter what and and claim that they're in the right and all that sort of stuff. But I remember watching 2012 and just thinking, how could you defend what had happened? And if that had happened to Hawthorne, I would have been I, I would have been absolutely livid and wanted to rip you know everyone involved just out of the club. Um, and I feel exactly the same way with this. Um, and yeah, as you just mentioned then, with Sam Mitchell um, being a special person in charge of this, yeah, you read his documentary, he's absolutely, um, oh, sorry, his autobiography, he's absolutely relentless. So, um, and he had a big part um, with 2012, you know, his, his famous gesture to his arm with the, with the jab and all that sort of stuff. And I just kind of think um, Sam's a really, really determined person. Um so as long as he's on the right side of this, I think we're gonna we're gonna make the right choices and, and navigate it well. Um, and there's every indication so far that he is. So uh, yeah, good luck to him. But he, he's going to be against it because there'll be a fair few above him that he's going to have to get rid of. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, you think with Paul Barsley being a first year coach, he'd just be left alone to coach the team. But uh, he's going to have to do a fair bit of cultural repair at the football club as well. But uh, you know, I think from uh, what I've uh, learned about him over the last few days, but, but, and then I'll write for for the record for next week. He's certainly up to the task. It's just, uh, it's not something he probably wants to do, but he feels he feels obligated that, uh, that he has to do it. And uh, you know, I think we used to say that about Clarko, and he was a lot of ways. But I think in 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 within a couple of years, he'll be the de facto. He'll be the spiritual de facto CEO of the football club. He'll be the senior coach and a whole lot more, I think. Mitchell is determined to to shape the club in the direction that, that he thinks it needs to go, that uh, this is a, an early uh, issue that he'll have to deal with. Um, any more thoughts on that, Darren? Yeah, we, well, we, we can talk about this all night, really, but I, I think I'm just kind of a bit tired of the virtue signalling from the club, and it's it's so great to 
to see the renaming of Waverley and, and all these things. But then you have an Indigenous liaison officer who was at the club for a year and employed one day a week and the first casualty of COVID cuts. And we don't have any pathways for Indigenous players to become senior coaches as, as far as I'm aware of. And there's no Indigenous board members. There's no Indigenous um, people in, in, in sort of the leadership group. I can't remember a single, single Indigenous player that was part of a leadership group at Hawthorne. I mean, these are systemic issues that needs to be addressed in most workplaces. Jess, Jess Bateman was part of the leadership group. Was he? Yeah. And in fairness to Hawthorne, and I'm not, I'm just making the observation to credit what you said, the Indigenous uh, officers at most clubs, including Chance Bateman at West Coast, so he's now back there, um, they were early, footy clubs had to cut pretty much 33% of their soft cap and trim their expenses in a significant way. And the Indigenous officers at most clubs were casualties. So it was uh, yeah, it was, think, it was an yeah. industry trend that Hawthorne sort of followed. But I think Hawthorne maybe could have make an, made a statement there and, and, and kept that person on um, because it is crucial. And it's, it's crucial to, to not be making decisions in a sort of white vacuum um, and to have Indigenous, strong Indigenous voices around so they could explain why that, that stray comment from Jay, Jeff Kennett was actually really offensive. So I think having more Indigenous people involved in the club at all levels is really crucial going forward and, and we've, got to, we've got to just back up the, the virtue signalling that we've done and they're really symbolic and great moves but there's got to be a bit more meaningful action and it's not just Sam Mitchell that has to do the repairing. It's a real shame as well, um, just following on from what you said, Daz, because the, the man that they had in uh, one day a week uh, pre-COVID was Leon Egan. And um, I know Leon really well, and he's a phenomenal guy with incredible respect in the Indigenous community. And um, and you just think if he had of been a full-time employee in that space, uh, maybe some of this stuff would have been knocked on the head a while ago because... Um, yeah, he's just a he's just a phenomenal bloke. I've done training with him in the past, and he's he's just he just gets it. He just he just understands, and he's got a great way of teaching white middle aged people like myself about the cultural issues um, and sensitivities around certain things that we either take for granted or just don't have any understanding of. So, and that's no knock on Brady Gray, who's come in uh, this year um, playing at Box Hill and working full time in that space, but. Um, I think Leon just being that little bit older, having some of that, um, you know, that uncle type um, seniority that um, he would have provided to our younger Indigenous players and, and players in general um, just would have been invaluable in this space right now. So that's a bit of a bummer. Just um, one more if I can, guys. Yep. Yeah, just um, something that struck me recently is I was thinking back to Krakow's role and approach all this. And I remember a while ago he was lauded, um, maybe even by Luke Hodge, might have mentioned it, saying that Clarko's approach to the Indigenous boys on the list of, um, uh, you know, speaking to their family about an issue and, and all that sort of stuff as opposed to bringing it up with the player directly and, and all this. And it was kind of celebrated either by, you know, a couple of commentary pieces or, or whatnot. Um, but to me, I remember at the time just feel like thinking like how patronizing it seemed like, and I thought about, you know, if I was at work and my boss went and spoke to my family and my mum and my dad about my work performance, I thought, 
gee, that's really kind of, yeah, I know you're trying to be culturally sensitive, but really kind of too much for reaching and rather patronizing. And I was, I was wondering what, um, whether any, any of you guys want to notice that. Uh, I didn't really sort of notice that, but I mean, I kind of sort of went on a limb for guys like Dale Garlett and um, Amos Frank. And um, it's interesting, the, the Carolyn Wilson article referred to Amos Frank. I mean, I'm not speaking out of turn here that I mean, I've helped contribute to the Hawthorne book that comes out, the, the history book about the three people. It's almost the third version of the club history that comes out later in the year. I interviewed Burgoyne for that. He talks about Amos Frank and in glowing terms and how embraced he was by the players and how popular he was around the football club, which is a little bit at odds to a throwaway line in, in Caroline's article. So Burgoyne's fascinating in all this because he, you know, you know, he, this is a very, very proud Indigenous man and an Indigenous leader for the uh, entire AFL industry, not just Hawthorne. And he was uh, he was very happy and content at the football club for a very long time and uh, was in a position to call things out if he if he didn't like them. So, but he was content to play at Hawthorne until he retired. You know, he played 10, 11, 12 years or whatever it was at the football club. So he's not there anymore. He's back at Port Adelaide, of course. Um, but his role in all this as well is interesting as well. He's got some interesting, interesting things to say about the Indigenous side of the club in the book that will come out um, later in the year. Um, Mr. Mr. Jazz, you got a question for us? Mr. Jazz, uh, switch off your switch your mic on. Sorry. Okay, Go can on. you hear me now? Paul? Yes, we can. Good evening. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to make an observation about uh, the comment that, you know, we have to get rid of our Indigenous uh, cultural officer because of the soft cap. But we did have Burgoyne, and Burgoyne is a leader in my judgment, and I don't have the same inside information as a lot of you guys do, but my judgment was he was always leading the Indigenous uh, cultural issues uh, at Hawthorne, good or bad, and uh, obviously had a wider influence in the, uh, in the AFL. So whilst it would have been a good message to have kept uh, under the soft cap pressure the Indigenous uh, cultural uh, person that we had, the reality is we did have someone of quite a significant stature and he's recognised in that case. So I, I just feel that some of the comment tonight is lacking a bit of balance in this. I don't doubt there's a problem and I don't doubt that Cyril um, uh, has a concern. I have personally uh, some concerns about the way the matter is brought up, the time it was brought up, uh, the timing of the way it was brought up and the person he chose to bring it up with. Uh, and uh, also uh, he referred, as I think Brad mentioned early on, he referred to a bunch of incidents that occurred prior to the Kennett one. Um, and, you know, the Kennett one, uh, I just won't pass judgment on. I it's a dumb thing to say to anyone, but particularly in that circumstance. But putting that aside, the deeper issue for me is those issues that must have occurred within the team, within the four walls, which have really been glossed over in the hunt for Kennett in this. I think that's the thing that they should be chasing. If I was to do an investigation, that's what I'd be investigating rather than whether Kennett just made a dick of himself because he's pretty bloody good at that. I agree with a lot of what you said there. That's a really good observation. Certainly Burgoyne, I think, back one stage was employed uh, by the club uh, in some capacity as, as its um, Indigenous officer uh, at some stage during 2020 and 21 as well. So... You're right. I mean, he's a person of significance 
in that in that in that area. And he was he was he was part of the Hawthorne Footy Club, so maybe they thought that uh, Leon Egan is clear as Danny says, as impressive an operator as he was, may have been expendable because in a tight uh, financial situation they had Burgoyne on their books. Yes, there are some things that happened in the middle of the decade as well that need to be looked at. Um, I noticed there had to be a clarification from um, Caro in her story when she, her initial story said it was mem- it was a leadership group uh, that made some unsafe remarks and she later clarified that to say at senior members of the club, not necessarily the leadership group, yeah. because certainly yeah. that implicated some very uh, that implicated some of the Hawthorne greats of the last decade uh, with that line. So, well, it's it's um, it's going to situation is going to play itself over the next little while. The story's not going anywhere for a considerable period of time. Certainly, agree that the statement from the uh, from the club today was uh, was very milk toast. Um, but we'll just wait to see what happens now. Um, we're going to move on, but this was a good discussion. Rest assured, any time there's fresh news, fresh developments on this issue, we'll be devoting uh, time to it, uh, both in words on the uh, substack and, and also when it comes to the space as well. Just got a few minutes before we finish up. Um, just want a couple of quick thoughts um, from you, Brad and Danny. Uh, just a couple of early things we need to, uh, that Hawks need to consider in preparing to play St Kilda on Saturday. On Sunday at the MCG. Stop Max King and we win. He's an absolute superstar in the making. I think Frosty will obviously get first crack. I think this is, like I said last week, um, I thought it was a winnable game. But this game, in my opinion, we should be beating St Kilda on the MCG. I think they're much better at uh, Marvel. I think their midfield's the weakest uh, midfield we're going to come up against in the first you know, five or six rounds of the season. Other than Jack Steele and Brad Crouch, who was Brad Crouch was brilliant against the Tigers on the weekend, probably his best game for the Saints. They lack depth in their midfield. Their back line is quite weak, in my opinion. I think our forwards can exploit them. This is the game where uh, O'Meara and uh, Mitchell have to stand up because I think we can win it in the midfield. I think if that's the case, I think our defensive structure will hold up. Max King's going to kick, you know, four, probably three or four goals but I don't think that'll be enough to get St Kilda over the line. We've seen with King this year, he's been quiet for 75% of uh, the year, but he's won St Kilda two games. He's the type of player that can kick four goals in a quarter. So we really need to be switched on for four quarters. It'd be good if we came to play like we did against Port. The first quarter against Carlton was actually reminiscent of our game against St Kilda last year at Marble Stadium, which was probably the, our worst game of the year. I think we lost by about 80 points. It was over by quarter time. Yeah, and St Kilda were really poor last. You know, I don't think they were going great at that stage. It was early on in the year. Um, But I think it's a winnable game. I'll be tipping us. I reckon we should win this game by, I reckon, you know, two to four goals, especially at the MCG. Danny, quick couple of quick thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a a fair bit of uh, conversation happening this week on the back of Max King's uh, game against Richmond. I Look, he's, he's, he's obviously a very exciting young talent, but Harry Mackay's ahead of him at the moment for me uh, in terms of young young key forward. And I think the Hawks uh, played after quarter time, played him really well. And I think if you watch that uh, video, that uh, members exclusive coaching video, Robert Harvey um, really spoke on that pressure around the stoppage to force um, Carlton back and how they didn't do that. They talked about the pressure gauge how it was at a at a really low level in the first quarter, and by the end of the game, it was up in the elite cat- cat- category. 
Um, if the Hawks can bring that level of intensity that they brought after quarter time against St Kilda, um, I'm, I'll, I'll be tipping us to win as well. I think uh, they're not a strong midfield unit, as Carlton, like Brad said. If we can break even with them, I'm a little bit worried about uh, Ryder and Marshall having their way with uh, Reeves and Lynch, uh, mainly around the ground because uh, Ryder goes forward well and Marshall's just a very good, very good ruckman. Um, But our midfield, if they can break even, I think our forwards will trouble their defenders and I think our defence will hold up fairly well. I say that now, Max King will probably kick eight. Uh, and we'll lose by 40 points. Max King will play a four-quarter game at some stage soon. Let's hope it's not on Sunday. I haven't picked Hawthorne yet this year, but I think this might be the week I pick them for the first time. And this degree of confidence that we all have so far, I'm finding really worrying. Before we go, and we need your help, uh, Hawks Insiders uh, Nation, we had a fantastic podcast that dropped late last week with a, a guy called Monkey, who was the Hawthorne supporter who ran on the ground at the SCG in his Hawthorne gear uh, when Buddy kicked his 1,000th goal. It was a fantastic chat that Andrew and Darren had to him. We've come up with an idea now. We want to track down Hawthorne supporters who who have become famous in bits of footage at games, and we want to track them down, and we want to get them on the Hawks inside us, but we need your help to find them. It didn't take us too long to track down Monkey when we put out on Twitter, so we're going to do the same. We're going to drop in the next 24 hours or so a picture, but some of you might know who this person is. It's a young kid who starts crying with tears of joy after the 2013 preliminary final when Hawthorne finally beats Geelong and breaks the curse. He was standing in the players' race, so I suspect he might be either a friend of or a child of a person involved at the club at the time, but he was clearly delirious like the rest of us were. We want to track him down. We'll put his picture up on the Twitter feed in the next uh, 24 hours or so. Darren, just give us a quick insight as to how you went down with that, how you tracked Monkey down and uh, and what a joy that podcast was. Yeah, it was awesome. And it didn't take long, actually. I think his girlfriend popped up in our mentions probably within about, you know, three hours of putting up that that tweet. And then it was just a matter of tracking him down on, on Instagram. And he was really happy to have a chat with us and um, just an absolute character and love talking to him and hearing that story. We initially thought that he had... Um, he lived in Sydney, but just hearing that he flew up just to be involved in that moment because Buddy was his favourite player growing up was really was really heartwarming and um, yeah, just 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 an absolute character and it's a beauty that podcast. If you have time to listen to it, uh, definitely get onto that one. Yeah, so as we'll put the picture up of the next the next guy uh, very shortly, and any help you can help uh, give us in tracking him down would be great, and we'll get a, a pod going with him as well. Um, Thanks, everyone, for your support of Hawks Insiders. It is uh, $5 a month, $50 for the season uh, to support us in what we're trying to do and bring great Hawthorne content. Campbell Brown's first column will drop before the weekend. He's had a bit of a look at how the Hawks have gone through three games. We've got a Peter Hudson book extract and hopefully a giveaway uh, coming up as well in the next uh, in the next uh, little while as well, ahead of the, the weekend coming up as well. Uh, Daz, before you go, any more housekeeping that we should be aware of? No, look out for Danny's Box Hill wrap-up um, probably tomorrow as well. So, yeah, a, a lot of content coming out this week, but um, we're having a lot of fun doing it. No, it's been going really well. So uh, thank you again, Brad, for your uh, input. Looking forward to selection dissection later in the week. Thanks, Ash. Yeah, looking forward to writing it. A few changes will def- – I think there will be a few changes this week, so we'll wait Thursday night.
And uh, Danny, thanks always for your help. No worries. Always good to be a part of it. And uh, really appreciate the uh, listener involvement tonight. I thought it was great. That's been good. It's been one of our best ones so far with a really good uh, discussion. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Keep uh, Thank you for your support. Keep supporting Hawks Insiders. Uh, tell your friends if they can't listen to spaces, this will be available as a podcast sometime in the next 24 hours or so. Um, enjoy the rest of the week, and uh, we hopefully we'll see you all at the MCG uh, when the Hawks beat the Saints and plenty to talk about next week. So thank you and good night.